Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And today we have a lot of surprises, not just for you, but also for us. Because uh, imagine our surprise when our guest of honor had a misfortunate event in his family, and so he cannot be here. And we're sad for him. We're not complaining. We understand. But Gordon Pike was supposed to be here today to discuss Revelation with Peter and I. And we are looking forward to doing that in a couple weeks. But today, you'll have to bear with us because we are just kind of doing what we can here. Uh, we've selected a text from, would it be the alternate lectionary? What do you call that? I think it's the alternate lectionary. Uh, whatever it is, we're, we're in it. And we're in Genesis today. And so I'm looking forward to discussing that. It's got one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible in it. Uh, when Adam looks a lot like me, and whether we'll admit it or not, a lot like all of us when we get in trouble with God. But we're going to be in Genesis 3 today, verses 8 through 15. If you want to look it up in your translations before giving us a listen, just hit pause and look that up. And then, of course, return to us and hit play again. I'm going to read from the Common English Bible. Listen now for the word of the Lord. During that day's cool evening breeze. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man replied, I heard your sound in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked. Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What have you done? And the woman said, The snake tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the snake, Because you did this, you are the, the one cursed out of all the farm animals out of all the wild animals. On your belly you will crawl, and dust you will eat every day of your life. I will put contempt between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. They will strike your head, but you will strike at their heels. All right, so we have some of the most often referenced verses in the entire Bible. They're not quoted a lot. Mm. But they're referred to a lot. Yeah. And for many reasons. And I think they've been misused over time. And probably most of the time, mm -hmm. they're used in a way that is unknowingly to the user confusing. In other words, they're taken out of context. They're used to, to explain things that we just don't have explanations for and we want to find one. And so we'll just shove them in there. But don't you think that's why they were written in the first place? To explain things that we don't know? Probably. Most of this allegory... Did I say that? I say allegory. Okay. Tell me what allegory most, means. Most, most of this story yeah. used to offer reason to things we do not understand is probably due to that. Hmm. Just that. To where, you know, humanity is developing and we're trying to uh, make sense of this world and we wonder well why are we like like we are why are we separated from god why is life not perfect that would be one of those things yeah. why am i afraid of snakes early theodicy yeah 
goes on. Don't say afraid. Say fascinated by. Fascinated by snakes. Because even if you're not afraid of snakes, you're, we're fascinated. So let's let's go through it. Some of those questions have no answers. Let, let's go through it. And when, you know, we've just thrown a bunch of stuff at our wonderful listeners. And we probably should go through it so we can, you know, talk with some degree of structure about what we're talking about here. So at first they hear God. Mm-hmm. Now, the question, the first question that I have comes from this question that God asked. So you can talk about Yahweh and Eluist if we want to, but we don't have to. But whoever is writing calls or puts the question on God's anthropomorphically speaking lips and says, where are you? So my first question is obvious, and that is, why doesn't God already know? Or does God already know? Well, apparently not. I mean, it was a rhetorical question then. Yeah, it might have been. And where are you? So does an all-powerful, can we hide from God? Mm. Well, they can't mm-hmm. because God is apparently within earshot and just saying, hey, or Marco, Adam, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that begs the question, who are we to think that we can hide from God? Mm-hmm. And then that begs the follow-up question, or can we? Yeah, I I tend to read this as a rhetorical question that that God knows, but he gives, or God gives Adam the opportunity to uh, reveal himself. Which, to his credit, he He does does. right away. So God says, where are you? And I think there's some foreshadowing to what's about to happen in that question. Because in asking, where are you, physically, geographically, it's almost like God is also asking, and, and how you doing? Where are you in our journey towards living together in harmony? Hmm. And Adam says, you know, immediately, doesn't say, here I am. Doesn't do the Samuel, speak for your servant is listening. Here am I. Yeah. Send me. Or Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah. yeah. Instead, immediately launches into excuses before an accusation has been made. Mm-hmm. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was scared. And so I hid from you. Why? Because I was naked. Didn't even have to be asked the question. Immediately jumps to excuses, and in doing so, has revealed that he has messed up Mm -hmm. big time. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess the reason I say big time is because there was one rule, right? Don't eat the fruit. That's it. You can eat all the other fruit, but not from this tree. You can keep eating the tree of life. You just can't eat from this tree. Is that right? I always thought it was two that they weren't allowed to eat from either tree. They could eat from one until they ate from the other, Uh, and then they could no longer eat from the one. mm -hmm. So you have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. As long as they're not eating from knowledge of good and evil, they could eat from the tree of life. Mm -hmm. And the tree of life, we're getting outside of these verses. But if you if you look at other cultures, there's trees of life in most of them. Mm. Um, there's a there's a Disney movie. I think I might be violating some copyright or getting something wrong. It might not be Disney, but there's a, Avatar. Is it what has a, Avatar the movie with the blue people? That's not what I was going to say. But they they have one. They have a tree of life. And there is a movie called The Tree of Life. Okay. Um, and then there's also we have one hanging in our kitchen. We bought it when we were in Egypt. A place that no one should ever go. By the way, I've um, lived. I've lived there. Really? Yeah. Uh, 
pretty terrible conditions <laughs> for for the have-nots. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, but when we were there, we bought a painting of the Tree of Life, and it was it's really cool to hang in our kitchen. Anyway, so all that said, as long as they didn't eat from the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, they could keep, eat from the Tree of Life, which would keep them alive. Mm-hmm. Once they ate from the tr- Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, well, if they were allowed to be immortal and to have all this knowledge, then they would be godlike, and we can't have that because there's only one God. Mm. And therefore... God shuts it down. But so now we've talked about all the stuff around this pericope, hmm. but we have kind of ignored well, this. Well, I mean, but a lot of what you 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 said is definitely kind of conclusions that we come to or are handed about why they were not allowed. I'm I'm not sure that it actually does it actually spell it out there that this is the reason why they're not allowed to eat from the tree of good and evil. I think so. It we should d- probably look back and find out. Though. The snake says that God said that if you eat from it, you will die. Mm-hmm. And the snake says that that's not actually true. Uh, it turns out that it is true. Uh, because uh, It's just not an instant death. It's not an instant death. Yeah. The death is not the punishment. The death is the repercussions. Yeah. Although that could be seen as punishment. Mm-hmm. But... I'm trying to figure out where I can look that up. Okay, instructions about tree of life and good. Well, I think it's just right here. Well, if you got it in front of you, because I don't have a a paper Bible. I'm one of those wacky millennials that doesn't do that. I've I've learned while I'm looking for this that I'm a geriatric millennial. That's the name of, because I was born in 81. Oh, yeah, first year or second year. Old age millennial. Liza Schlesinger, I think, a stand-up comedian. She does a, a bit called Elder Millennial. It's hilarious. Yeah. Y- y'all are the ones that try to give the rest of us advice about how to live our lives. Let me tell you, son. Because you managed to sneak through college and get a career before uh, no, 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 2008. No, no, no. no, no. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's let the listener in on this. When we graduated... Jobs were nowhere. Where? What? What year did you graduate? I graduated college in two thousand three. Huh. Okay. And it and I was homeless for like a little bit. But and I lived in basements. Okay. And then and then. Well, that you were just lazy. That's what. That was what it is. <laughs> if you don't have a job, you are lazy. <laughs> that's what the that's what the uh, older generation said about us. So. The thing about it was, it wasn't the market. It was. I don't know why we're on this. I'm probably going to edit most of this out. But when we graduated, the baby boomers, at Saturday Night Live did a great bit on this, but the baby boomers, well, I can't retire. Mm. I have to pay for the beach house and the mountain house and the lake house. Yeah. And so they just kept working. Yeah. And so the jobs didn't, it didn't cycle through. Right. Anyway. Here's the verse. This is in chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 15 through 17. And this is all we get. The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the human, Eat your fill from all the garden's trees, verse 17, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat from it, you will die. End quote. So it was just that one tree. Yeah. And they were told. If and it you, does have an immediate nature to it. On the day. Yeah. 
whatever the day means. So does you will die mean right then? It sounds like it. Hmm. So that's how the serpent. Is it a physical death or is it some kind of a spiritual death? Or is death? it that the process of human mortality begins, mm-hmm. which is what it seems like it is what transpired. Death is a process. Yeah. Yeah. So we have prepubescence, pubescence, assonance, and death. Hmm. That's the human life cycle right okay. there. Oh. I learned that in, uh, in, in college before I graduated in 2003 to not have a job. Yeah, now we've come full circle. Where were we? Well, actually, we were with God asking that question. Well, actually, we were the next verse down. Okay. So Adam jumps into excuses and immediately has revealed. Yeah, the jig is up. He's he's shown God that this has happened. But this brings to my mind this question of human innocence. Mm. I almost said ignorance on accident, but it would work. Mm-hmm. Because... With my son, I do so much to try and keep him innocent, to try to shield him from the world's harms. So he comes in when I'm cooking a lot into the kitchen. And he says, oh, dad's watching his favorite show, the news. And it's not always the same channel. I, I, I'm a, a news surfer. Like I'll, I'll watch one channel and then the commercial comes in, I'll watch another one. And the programs change as the hosts change. Some hosts I can't stand, some hosts I like. Um, and so, but none of the channels you watch are acceptable for children to watch anymore hmm. because it's always racism, violence, and death and destruction. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Now that is a reflection of us as a culture. Mm-hmm. And I have this question of how much should I shield him from? Should I keep him from eating from this modern day tree of knowledge of good and evil? Hmm. I mean, you know, he's a kid. They run around naked all the time. They don't think there's anything wrong with it. They you know, dig in your pocket. He's my dad. He wouldn't have anything to hide. I don't have anything to hide, really, but I don't mm-hmm. want to go into people's pockets. So, you know, there's there's this there's this constant ba- balancing act of how much exposure do I want him to have at a young age of the harsh realities of the world. On the other hand, he's already seen his share of, of violence. Mm. Three people close to our families have killed themselves. Wow. Um, there's there's all sorts of stuff around. We cannot shield them forever, right? But and so there's this balancing act, and it seems to me that God was trying to keep humanity innocent hmm. in this story. Or is humanity projecting their childhood relationships with their parents onto God in this story? It very well could be, but please give us more details about your question. Well, it, it just seems to me like the parallels are striking. Yeah, like you said. I mean, with, with children, they you know, they don't know that they're naked until they're told or until they get to a certain age and they start feeling shame. Mm-hmm. And we see that here in, in Adam and Eve. Now, uh, we don't know how old Adam and Eve were. Uh, if they were eating from the tree of life, then maybe age is... Uh, Irrelevant. Of, uh, irrelevant, of no consequence. And I think it is the uh, the Eastern Orthodox tradition that translates um, good, like that they were that they were good and as that they were innocent. Mm-hmm. you know, and the the whole creation is called innocent. Um, every day of creation is called innocent. Um, 
instead of, or innocent or beautiful. Um, and so in a sense, yeah, this is talking about like a childlike state for humanity where they didn't have to make decisions, where they didn't have to judge between right and wrong, where um, they were being cared for, just like all the other animals. God was caring for them. Um, yeah, so it, 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 it makes me wonder, going back to that thought of like, is this story a tool for explaining how we got to where we are? As like, maybe this story is a tool for explaining how... Uh, you know, how we all grow up, but also, yeah, how sometime long ago things changed from the perfect relationship we wanted to have with God to what we have now. I think it also gives us an, or, uh, maybe an origin story, but certainly a source for our, I want to say innate sinful behavior, although I'm not convinced we necessarily have that, but the world is pretty much convinced that we have that, so we'll go with that. Talking but, about original sin? I'm trying not to say that, but yes. That's where that but, doctrine comes from. We should at least mention it. Yeah, but see, the reason I'm trying not to say original sin is because a lot of people, when they hear that, they immediately think, well, that one act of eating from the wrong tree. Hmm. But what I'm going with is this, not the we're born with it, sinfulness thing hmm. sinful nature but the the drive that results in us doing wrong and it's this this quest that we seem to have and i mean we including myself to replace god with ourselves mm-hmm. to want to be more godlike yeah. that's what makes us greedy that's what makes us think we can do it all on our own mm-hmm. that's what makes us refuse to follow God's will and depend on God and, and instead try to be the masters of our lives and therefore the masters of God's will for us. Mm-hmm. And the masters of all creation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we take dominion and just roll with it. Yeah, but turn it into domination. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we find that here mm-hmm. because there's this, and we're going to get to it later, but there's this, this, idea that we can do it better ourselves and we'll get there but first God asked in in verse 11 God asked another rhetorical question who told you that you're naked God obviously knows and says it in the next line Hmm. how they figured it out have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat so so far God said three things and they're all rhetorical questions Mm mm-hmm God is a good cop and bad cop, it seems. Of which, yeah, God already knows the answers. But I, I, I see, I see grace in that even because um, God, in this story, gives the humans the opportunity to own up to what they've done, and I think God still does that for us. And to a point, they do. Mm-hmm. But it's with excuses every time. Mm-hmm. Well, I was afraid because I was naked. It was the first excuse. Mm-hmm. And then we get to my favorite verse in this section, 12. The man's next excuse is an amazing one. Tell me who the man blames. 312. The man said, the woman you gave me or gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Mm-hmm. 
So he blames the woman, but he also blames God. He's not blaming the woman. He is blaming God. <laughs> if you hadn't given me this woman, none of this would have happened. So it's really on you. Yeah. I, I want to make one note about what you said about making ourselves into gods, because I think that is a theme that carries through the entire Bible. And yeah, especially, absolutely. we're going to come back to it in two weeks when we talk with uh, Gordon Pike on, on Revelation, that, you know, in, we're not talking about this, the seven-day creation story here. We're talking about the second creation story, which is much more narrative-focused. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, creation took seven days. It's not complete. It's not perfect without that seventh day, which is the time allotted for rest and for worship and for just uh, re remembering that we are loved by mm -hmm. God. And so often it seems that humans, myself included, try to pretend like creation ended on the sixth day, which would make me God. Yeah. That sixth day is me. That's when I was created. And then it was complete. And I'm in charge of everything else that came before. And I have to make decisions for, but it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And that's not how we're supposed to live. Uh, creation's not complete without God. But we'll get back to that um, in two weeks. We could talk about how Revelation reframes that whole predicament. I uh, had a had a mantra that carried me through college, all 100 years of college. And I loved being in college, by the way. I'd go back tomorrow if I could. But it, it wouldn't was, be the same. Maybe not, but I don't mean undergrad. I mean the entire. I would I would seek more education tomorrow if Christy would allow it. Uh -huh. But she's tired of yeah. supporting me through education yeah. anyway. But fair. I, I would I would just say, and I agree with you with her and you. So I would just say to myself, when I get tired, there are twenty four useful hours in every day, hmm. which I got from the movie Empire Records. Okay, which is not exactly a source of theological greatness. But uh, I, I would just tell myself that there are 24 useful hours in every day. Rest was not even something I would consider. Mm. So I'm working, I'm husbanding, eventually I'm parenting, and I'm going to school, and I'm doing all my side projects, because what, who needs sleep? Mm. Rest is a part of our lives, and we must do it. Mm. And when we try to ignore our natural need for that, then... What we are doing is saying, I have a better plan, God, than you. Hmm. I have a better plan for me. I have a better plan for biology. I have a better plan for the way human beings work than you do. Hmm. And that's just, once again, that natural uh, bent towards trying to replace God mm -hmm. and say that I am now God, hmm. which, which leads us to all this. So I am Adam. And I am frustrated that I can't get out of this. And so I turn around and try to blame God. Of course that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So God, the man says, the woman that you gave to be with me, she started this, but it's really your fault because you gave her to me in the first place, 13. Then God responds to the woman. I don't think that God is turning God's sights on her and saying, oh, yeah, you're right. She did it. Mm -hmm. I think God is saying, okay, let's follow that logic, Adam. Mm. And... So God says to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. So now the blame has been passed from Adam to God, really, but through the woman. Now from the woman to the serpent. Mm -hmm. One of the things we do when we try to become gods ourselves, the masters of our destinies, and it doesn't work, 
well, the first thing we got to do is find somebody to blame. Mm-hmm. And number one, it can't be me. Mm-hmm. You know, number two, it can't be anyone that I really like. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let the chips fall where they may. Right, and that's uh, you know that's something we see played out on an individual level, in families, in church communities, and even on a, a national or a global level, global scale. Uh, you know, this is this is exactly how empire plays out, which is what Revelation I think is talking about, is that you know empires like Rome set themselves up to be uh, eternal kingdoms. Mm-hmm. You know. They put their emperor on a pedestal. They make people worship that emperor. And then when it doesn't work out, the margin suffers. Mm-hmm. The poor suffer. The folks who are different suffer. The po- folks who won't bow down to worship Caesar, they're the problem. You know, It's never the powerful's fault. It's always the powerless. Yeah. Because they have no voice to say, uh, it wasn't us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this, this story encapsulates... I mean, it's, it's a story that is true in so many ways. And yet, people get hung up on whether it is literally true. I think the word that we should use is not literally, it's historically. Mm. Because the, 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 these truths literally apply to our lives. Mm-hmm. But who cares if it happened historically? Mm-hmm. A lot of people in previous churches for which I've worked have jumped on me because I'm not quick to say, oh, uh, the world's 7,000 years old. Uh, young Earth and evolution's horrible. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm not quick to say it, but I'm also not quick to say, oh, evolution is how everything happened and this is exactly how it happened. Because my official stance on evolution and all this stuff, well, I have two of them, but, but they agree. One of them is you can, be, you can have both. You can have created through evolution. But the other one is, and this is my main point, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. No one else did. Time travel hasn't been invented. Mm-hmm. And therefore, and, and won't be invented. Because if so, we, we'd probably see people in the future by now. Mm. Um, so my, my whole point is that we get hung up on this argument that this must be and that must be, et cetera, et cetera. And none of us know. Mm-hmm. So why don't we stop trying to find the historical evidence for Adam and Eve or whatever and instead just learn the lesson. Right. Because that's, I think, why it's here. Mm -hmm. Who cares if there was an actual talking snake? To me, it's much more important to get to the bottom of why was this story, why was this account written down? What was the intention of the original authors in uh, I mean, parchment wasn't cheap back then. It wasn't no. just like 500 sheet reams of printer paper, you mm-hmm. know. And the process of preserving a scroll like this, the process of copying it by hand over and over again. Which probably didn't start until like Babylonian captivity. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about word of mouth until then. Right. So it wasn't just the original author. It was every single par- person that took part in that journey for that scripture to make it from... 4,000 years BC or whatever um, to today or whenever along the way that this was written down, maybe it was oral history before that, there was a reason why that group of people, which I'm talking about Israel, decided to preserve this, Mm -hmm. right? What was their reason? 
that's much more important to me, much more important to me than whether this is actually historically true. And I think that the reason was to teach us something about who we are, mm-hmm. where we come from, what Why our, we got that way, yeah. and what our right relationship is with God. And not only that, but how to maybe be better than who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, and really humility plays into all this. Mm. Let's get to the lessons later. Let's get through the last of the verses. Because we've already, we've blamed God, we've blamed the woman. The woman we, blames the, the serpent. All okay? right. The she, snake gets cursed. She kicks off this, this, uh, lifetime fascination between humanity and snakes by blaming the serpent and then god has something to say to the snake 14 the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures upon your belly you shall and dust you shall eat all the days of your life i will put mine says enmity what does yours say contempt contempt between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. I guess Adam and the woman get to still be buddies until their offspring is born. Not Adam and the serpent. Mm. So this this happens, but I want you to notice something. What's that? The Lord puts this curse on the serpent, but did not say, okay, well, let's blame the serpent. You guys are out of the woods. Mm-hmm. They still get the punishment that was coming to them before they ever committed the sin it was stated as you found that they would die whether it's immediate or eventually Mm -hmm. and that does show up Mm -hmm. and so blaming others does no good for them Mm -hmm. it hurts the other but it does not get them out of it and so yes this is the only curse that's spoken in this pericope but if you know the rest of the story you'll see that they get theirs as well they get banished from the garden. So passing blame didn't help them at all. Mm-mm. Now, I want to hear what you have to say about my theory, which uh, about original sin. Uh, and, well, I don't know if it's my personal theory. I definitely think I got this from someone, and I have to figure out who, I, who I'm getting this from. But I don't think that the, that, original, that the original sin of humanity was eating the apple or taking the apple. Mm-hmm. I think that that was a mistake. That was... And then there are consequences. Like we talked about earlier, there are, there's a difference between punishment and consequences. Mm-hmm. I think eating the apple had certain consequences. Um, uh, not necessarily an apple, by the way. Eating sorry. The fruit. Yes, that's... Oh, my gosh. Art has done that to us. Art has done it to yeah. us, yeah. Uh, so eating the fruit, whatever that fruit looked like. Maybe it was a mango. Well, now we know it's a pomegranate because of palm commercials. Oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, so sorry for eisegetically writing it's okay the apple back into genesis oof anyway um that was a mistake that had consequences because they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil they were no longer uh allowed to stay in the garden it was just not it was not acceptable for that for that to be their home anymore so they're banished personally that's what i believe i believe the original sin of humanity is when Cain killed his brother Abel. So you're looking for a single action. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I think that's when humanity actually does have the knowledge of good and evil to know when something is wrong and chooses to do it anyway. And I believe that, and maybe this is just how my culture has informed me, but when I look around and I see evidence of original sin, 
my sense is that violence is uh, a much more worrisome sin that is more pervasive in our culture than uh, eating fruit from a, from a tree that we were not supposed to eat from. So if I'm going to take your theory one step further, I guess further back, it would be that eating the fruit was evidence of the motivation for what led to the original sin, which is the motivation is being more godlike. Mm. And the first act, act yeah, act that maybe they're came connected from that, yeah, that 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 motivation that led us to be sin led us to be sinners. So the first action is plays plays itself out in the murder mm-hmm. of Abel. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you could say that to a way they're, to that. they're connected in a way. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how you could say it wasn't that one. If we call the taking of the apple a sin, and, and certainly it was disobeying God's command, um, but uh, yeah, of course they're connected. I think that's a very Christ-like theory because if you look at a lot of Jesus's teachings, it is over and over and over again that the things that we call quote-unquote sins, sinful actions are evidence of a maybe moral, maybe ethical, maybe psychological, but an inward problem, Mm -hmm. a disconnect, um, motives. Jesus talks about these things all the time. We find them in the Beatitudes and we find them elsewhere. But Jesus harps on that it's not what you do, it's what leads you to do it mm-hmm. that we need to address. Right. And so I think there's certainly something to that. Mm-hmm. So the sin is the effect of what's inside. Mm-hmm. And so if you put together the eating of the fruit, which is also an act that's led by this motivation. Eating the fruit is is an act led by a motivation for what? Self-preservation or uh, getting self-improvement ahead? Or getting ahead would be another way to say that. You heard it uh, here first. Self-improvement is the original sin. No, 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 no. Burn no. those self-improvement books. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't say that. I, I, I'm not a big self-help, self-help book guy, though. But anyway, I think that uh, maybe not self-improvement, selfishness, though. Yeah. Um, this desire to be more, yeah. to never be satisfied. Yeah. Um, and in the wake of being put in this garden where it's proclaimed that everything is good, or as you said, not good, but innocent. Innocent. Or beautiful. So the yeah. innocence, innocence is shattered here. Mm-hmm. And I think getting to your point again about your theory, which I think there's really something to, not yours. Your borrowed theory from yeah. an I, unnamed it's, source. It's probably Rene Girard. I'm a big, big fan of Rene Girard. He's all about violence, and I mean, he's all about seeing violence as like the as the root evil of okay. humanity. So. so the point is, though, that it, it can't be a sin. It's very Paul Paul like. It can't be a sin if you don't know it. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. So eating the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil gives them no more excuse for this bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Once he does that, you know, they were too innocent maybe, they could be tricked. They were gullible mm-hmm. when they ate the fruit. But having eaten it, they now see good and bad, right and wrong, 
and then you willfully commit this act. Yeah, or their child. So I think there's something to that. And well, the reason I say it's very Paul-like is, you know, he talks about um, the law. It, it it doesn't save you from sin. It just shows you what your sins are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's something to that. And this is something that, uh, you know, original sin is a concept that um, I guess it was really St. Augustine developed. And then Martin Luther loved reading Augustine and Paul. Mm-hmm. And they both talked about this co- concept, which here, here's your Latin words for the day. Homo incurvatus in se, which means man or humanity curved inward upon itself. Uh, this, this, this way we get stuck. Um, you may have heard people talking about each other like they've got their heads up there. Mm-hmm. You know what? Well, that concept. Cranial rectal inversion. Yeah. <laughs> this idea that we're, we're so self-centered, we're bent inward upon ourselves, that, that, that keeps us from seeing the world as we ought to see it. It keeps us from behaving towards one another as we ought to behave. And it keeps us from worshiping God the way we ought. And that, that original sin, which causes us to be bent inward upon ourselves, to sometimes worship ourselves or to be so self-centered uh, or so trapped by our own, um, uh, f- yeah, f- narcissism can, yeah, keeps us from being the, the creatures that we are created to be. So uh, a quick summary, not just of the Bible, but of our conversation we don't have an excuse. Mm. We, it's so nice to be able to blame original sin and to blame. You know, it's not my fault. It's Adam and Eve. You know, they messed up, so I can't help it. Mm. But we don't have an excuse because but, we know right from wrong. Thus, when we choose to do wrong, that's on us. Mm. I have heard all my life people blaming um, the fall and saying, therefore... You know, we, we can't do right. We're just broken, and so it's not my fault. Hmm. Or Satan made me do it. Hmm. And that, We're not back in the garden. Yeah. We're out here now. And nor was Satan. But anyway, uh, we don't have those excuses. Yeah. It's on us. And I hate that, but I also love it. And I was talking with uh, Emily this morning about, you know, how our understanding of what is right and wrong is, some, is something that develops over time. We don't get it all as kids. We are innocent as kids. Um, and we lose that innocence as we gain knowledge of right and wrong. And there's always new circumstances that present themselves in which we have to figure out what's right and wrong. Um, and I think in my, my pride gets in the way of me learning from other people. But uh, the world is complicated, and sometimes the right answer or the right thing to do is unclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think we're off the hook just because it's confusing out there. I think that's a that the those situations in which we encounter uh, confusion as we try to determine what's right and wrong are are in our way, so that we take the opportunity to pray and to learn from one another and to ask and to seek help and guidance rather than just make a gut decision, yeah. which is uh, what I see going on in this story. Well, two things. Number one, when we learn from one another, it should be discussion and not seeking answers mm. because the person that you are learning from 
in whatever given situation, they're humans too. Mm-hmm. They're flawed. So you don't just take what somebody says and run with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you work out what is right, what is good. That's what ethics is all about. Right. Second, more importantly, these are the conversations you and Emily have. Because oh, yeah. in the morning, our <laughs> conversations are, where's my dang keys? I can't find my keys. You know, that's, that's me. And you know, it's Christy saying, my God, and they're right there where you leave them, Abe. Every day. Get a Rob, key. Get if, a you key throw your, if you put your clothes in the dirty clothes, then we might have a question. But you know they're in your pocket. You know. Well, this is just us uh, two year, no, one year into marriage. So mm-hmm. check back with with us in a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that we ever had those conversations. Let me just invite our listeners to make sure to tune back in next week and the following week. We'll have guests on the show both times. Next week we're going to be talking with Methodist pastor and communications specialist for the Smoky Mountain District, DeAndre Ash, about an upcoming celebration, the Juneteenth celebration. And we'll be talking about scripture as we do. Uh, And then in two weeks, we will have Reverend Gordon Pike back on the show. Mm -hmm. And and you know him, we know him, we love him. And uh, he's been leading a Revelation Bible study, as have I. Court has done so in the past. And so we're going to probably have some connections between today's episode about Genesis and Revelation. And I'm excited for that conversation. So please do tune back in and uh, catch us on Pastor Potluck. All right. So quick reminder, uh, as you prepare for the next two weeks, um, really I'm skipping past DeAndre, although I'm very excited about that. But a term I need you to be familiar with before we talk about Revelation is premillennial dispensationalism. Oh boy! So look that up. Yeah, I will be. The, the way we're planning on doing this is really exciting for me. I'm going to be interviewing Peter and Gordon. Now we'll get into discussion like we always do, but I'm 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 super excited about it because I get to just ask them questions. I'm, and I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to throw hard ones at them unless I, I warn them. But I come from a Baptist background and you get a ton of premillennial dispensationalism Methodists don't have that as much and so I'm excited about that and, and challenging them um, I'll go ahead and spoil this for you I'm not a premillennial dispensationalist and so as you're looking it up realize that if you're like yeah yeah that's great then uh, you will be disappointed <laughs> so well I think what will be really exciting is that I don't know how Gordon has led his Bible study. He doesn't know how I have led my Bible study. Y'all don't know how I've done mine in the past. And Court doesn't know how either of us have led it, what we've emphasized, what we've focused on. So the conversation could go anywhere, and I'm excited. I'm super pumped. But I'm I'm no less excited about DeAndre Ash. I've been counting down to that before we even came up with the idea about Revelation. So a a fun couple of weeks coming up. Yeah. I'm I'm glad. For Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. Y'all take care of yourselves, and we'll see you. Well, we'll... You'll hear us when you hear us again. Peace. Peace.